everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 281, the Pastel Podcast, recorded April 16th, 2017, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com, except right now, where you can't get there. My name is Mark. Hey, Mark. <laughs> I am the host of the show, sometimes called the, the Sultan of the Soapbox. And joining me this week, as always, are your two Star Wars co-hosts, Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson, and Miles, the Osage in Wakeham. Hello, gentlemen. Greetings from somewhere else on the ether. <laughs> yes. Internet, who needs it? So, Mark, is there a reason you hesitated with brought to you by Element OP Productions? <laughs> well, I mean, it's still Element OP Productions, and it's still ElementOP.com. Just currently, at this moment, at uh, 7.46 p.m. on April 16th, 2017, were you to go to ElementOP.com, you would see a message stating, um, this directive cannot be completed, uh, something to that effect. Um, well, let me try that. An error occurred while processing this directive. Um, oh, yeah. So the, sometimes the Borg have infiltrated. Yeah. Don't you love programmers and their very detailed <sighs> error messages? I, I come home from from church this afternoon, Easter Sunday, enjoyed a wonderful time with my family. Um, and while the meal was being prepared, um, I sat down and fired up my browsers. And of course, elementopi.com is my my homepage. Uh, actually, even before that, I'd gotten an email from somebody saying the elementopi.com slash Amazon link isn't working. And I thought, I said, well, okay, uh, I'll look at that. And then I got there and nothing's working. So I've got, uh, about eight different websites, uh, all on hostmonster.com. Um, and they're all not working. None of them. Um, so I do some digging around and, and for the best I can tell, it looks like they've monkeyed with their PHP on the server. Um, and all almost all websites today are php driven uh and certainly anything with the the wordpress or drupal are and so i was able to get some of the wordpress stuff back up but drupal leans a little heavier on some of the more arcane php stuff and it doesn't work i mean between versions right you've got to have uh the precise version so the first thing i did was i i got online with their tech support because you can't call anybody on sunday afternoon but I, I talked with a nice Indian fellow um, uh, via chat, and um, he was able to to go through and, and activate some things. I, I suspect either fit, fixing an ht uh, access dot fi- uh, file or uh, permissions or something like that. Uh, but he said, uh, "I I'm not going to be able to help you with the Drupal site. You'll have to talk to a developer about that." And I said, "I am a developer. A little bit of a lie there. Um, I, I write some code. I'm not a developer. I just need to know what you did that broke all my websites." And his response was, we hadn't changed anything. And I said, really? All eight of my websites broke simultaneously, spontaneously, while nobody was doing anything with them, and you'd made no changes? I find that hard to believe. And a couple of minutes later, I got, this chat session is timed out due to inactivity. Um, so, I'm, Host Monster sucks. That's all I have to say about that. Um, I, actually, I left out part of the story. He said, uh, while I was waiting for um, uh, a backup to restore, which is what I've I just I'm going to try that. I'm going to restore several terabytes of data from backup, hoping for the best. And while I was waiting for that, the guy said, I notice you're on this plan. I could switch you to this plan. That's five dollars less a month. And I thought, well, I mean, something good come from could come from this if I save five dollars a month. And what he meant was I could save five dollars a month if I purchased the next three years in advance. So by but so I'd save five hundred dollars if I spent six hundred dollars. No. And. So that's when I kind of told him off and, and the session died. Um, 
So capitalism run amok uh, and customer service non-existent, apparently. So having said all that, I'm looking for a new web host, somebody who can handle um, several terabytes of data transfer a month um, and not gouge me for it. Okay. <laughs> wow. I, you know, I, I, I had problems like this back in about 2001, now, maybe even 2000, and it forced me to buy a server and host it myself, like co-locate it. Yeah. And that kind of grew out of control because now I've got two data centers. <laughs> so it's a little, uh, I went a little over the board there. But the underlying principle as to why I did that was exactly the situation you're going through. How dare they change anything in your operating system, your Apache version, your PHP, your kernel, anything like that, without at least telling you first. And not even admitting it after the fact. That's what really got me mad. And you know what really drives me crazy, I'm sure this is related, is when they use, oh, it's for security reasons. Yeah, okay, that's fine, but tell me before you do it. Anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I you know what I'm going to do the next time they say it's for security reasons? I'm going to say, but that version I was using was for the children. <laughs> <laughs> Just to see what happens. So I've been with HostMonster since, like, 2008. I've been with them a long time because they're cheap. It's... uh. 120-ish a year for unlimited bandwidth and unlimited uh, uh, storage. Unlimited in quotes. Uh, when I hit a certain amount, they throttle my CPU and throttle my bandwidth. So, you know, lately I've been hitting that pretty pretty much every week when I release a show. And I get, get emails from people saying, it's taking a long time to download the show. Yeah, well, that's because I've, I've reached the limit of unlimited. Um, but I, I've stuck with them for two reasons. One, it's inexpensive. And and it costs a lot more to go anywhere else. You know, we we shilled for DigitalOcean for a long time, uh, and and I believe in their service a whole lot. But their Achilles heel is uh, storage. They they allow very limited amount of storage. So you've got to host it somewhere else, like uh, Amazon Web Services or something, which is expensive. And and I get why it's expensive. Uh, storing data that is you know and 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 managing terabytes of traffic a month. Um, you know, it's it's not cheap. You know, Miles, out of the goodness of his heart, a while back, offered me some space on his uh, a data center until I told him how much bandwidth I used, and he said, "Oh, on second thought," and, you know, and, and I get it. Uh, but now I'm looking at, at going instead of like a hundred and twenty dollars a year, I'm looking at doing you know seventy or eighty dollars a month to go to a real hosting provider. I mean, that's an order of magnitude more to get reasonable service. You know where you want to do it. Do it in the Netherlands. I, I, I'll tell you, this is from personal experience. The bandwidth opportunity over in Europe is far better than it is here. Um, the quality of data and the speed is great, and the costs are very reasonable. You'll pay, you know, if you're willing to pay $70, $80 a month, you'll get a VPS with a ton of bandwidth that won't kill you at all. Um, it's not uncommon to find 70 80 100 terabytes a month in that sort of price range. Yeah. That's the problem. I'm not willing to pay that. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, right now, this show, uh, on average, from uh, the Amazon referral link, which isn't working right now, um, the Patreon and uh, the donations brings me in about $75 um, a month on average, right? So if I if I didn't do anything else... Um, I could break even at that, but you know, I do, I, I buy hardware. I occasionally throw you guys some money when guests are on the show. Uh, I pay them. So 
I would end up losing money to support my habit. And, you know, I, I'm just not ready to, to pull that trigger yet. I may be, I'm, I may be that mad. Uh, another thing I'm, I'm dealing with is uh, I'd have to upload everything from a new site, right? I'd have to, push, I'd have to upload everything from my lo- local backups. Um, and I'm on Comcast's metered service. If I go over a terabyte a month, uh, that's both up and down. They start charging me a fortune. So I've got about three terabytes of data I'd have to push up. Um, that's if I wanted all the old stuff stored. So I'm in a, I'm going to have to pay to host it and pay to send it. And I, I know I'm whining first world problems, but meh, I'm upset. Deal with it. But you, you know, you could, uh, you could FedEx like a drive to me. And I could put it on my connection. It wouldn't be fast, but I do have unlimited. Yeah. So it would take several days for the old stuff to populate. Yeah, I'm just trying. I want to get something up uh, so that this show can go out on Wednesday. If if it's only the the feed, you know, if I don't get anything else, I need to at least get that. Uh, but right, right now, I can't. Uh, right now, I can run nothing PHP oriented. And so the, I use a, a PHP script for the podcast you are uh, uh rss feed uh, i have drupal is is, uh, is rss so i i'm gonna have to spend some time you know i may end up having to take a day off this week just to fix this crap and this isn't the first time in fact i went uh back looking at at uh, the error logs uh on my server trying to find the problem and and i saw that this exact same error that i'm seeing now has been thrown like three different times. And I remember this having this problem. Unfortunately, I didn't write down what I did to fix it the last uh, couple of times. But so th- this is not a new thing. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm almost certain it's either an upgrade or a tweak or a, a, a move to something. You know, they, they renamed my home directory on the server and, and, and transparently routed the HTTP stuff, but not the server side stuff. There's something like that going on. I'm going to have to find you know, a two and change it to a four or something, and then it'll all work again. No, you're going to have to change um, a lowercase w to yeah. an uppercase w <laughs> because they they forgot that, oh, wait, this is case sensitive. So um, that's probably what it is. Uh, Linux. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I'm on record as saying that's not a feature, that's a bug. Uh, a, a case sensitive OS is a bug. And every time I say that, I hear some Linux guy say, well, it's a handy way to rename a file, uh, delete a file without actually having to delete it. You can just change the case of it. Yeah, or rename it, or add a dot, or add a dash, or any other reasonable thing that doesn't involve a case-sensitive OS. Nice try, but no. Yeah, but this way you get access to so many different name combinations. (laughs) So, you know, you just increase by an order of magnitude how many different ways you can name smelly cat okay i in fact i'm 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 willing to grant that back in the days when 8.3 was the standard naming convention because we just didn't have any space being case sensitive did open up a lot of opportunities there so maybe that's the reason for it i don't think so but maybe um but if so it's time to give that up all right. We don't like change. We are geeks. Have you for, have you been away from the back end geek culture I so have. long, Mark, that you have you have forgotten all of these things you used to yeah. love, you are now railing against on a darn near weekly basis it's true. on your podcast. I've become you know, a corporate corporate drone. I'm no longer a, a network admin. You know, I hate to tell you this, but you're empowering the Macintosh community. <laughs> Well, isn't their OS also case sensitive? I think no, so. no, it's, it's not? not. Okay, no. 
ZFS. They're all cheering in the background right now. I can hear them from here. ZFS is supposed to fix this, and it has been since 1984. Um, ZFS for the win once it's ever done. Yeah. <laughs> all right. That's enough of my whining for now. There'll be probably more whining later. Uh, I thought about making the topic of this show, why do we put up with crappy service? That's that's like an American that's that's a trait of american being uh, human beings is we we routinely put up with crappy service i mean you go to you go to the mcdonald's down the street and they get your order wrong 95 percent of the time and yet you keep going to the mcdonald's around the street um and i mean why is that i, I think it's probably because it's a cheap and b convenient and those trump quality maybe okay maybe not here Here's the problem. Everybody gets crappy service. Just Americans whine about it. So everybody realizes you get what you pay for. But we expect to get what they paid for without having to pay for it because we're Americans, dadgummit. So that's an interesting question. Cheap lives matter. If I I were willing to pay $8 for an Egg McMuffin, would I have a right to expect a higher quality service? I I assume I would, uh, but I kind of think that you know, my understanding of the way life goes is that we would, that the quality of service would eventually degenerate down to the same thing it is now. Um, that premium doesn't necessarily, I mean, Apple mistreats its corporate, its clients on a regular basis um, with a, with while a charging smile. them a premium price. But it brainwashes them first. So once you're brainwashed, then, you know, that's the problem. We just, we've become entitled. And so we resist the brainwashing because we're entitled. We're too busy focusing on ourselves to receive the brainwashing that's being <laughs> subliminally <laughs> transmitted through all faucets of society. Well, Whereas the rest of the con- rest of the world doesn't have these smartphones <laughs> that they're glued to all the time, taking selfies. I mean, come on, selfie stick, you know, hashtag go USA. <laughs> <laughs> You know, hipsters have a very high threshold of pain. I think that's what it comes down to. Probably so. There's, there's something there. I mean, I, my, the armchair psychologist in me. Remind, remember, that's the only thing I'm actually trained to do in this world. I have a degree in psychology. It, it makes me wonder why an entire nation of people would just accept being crapped on on a regular basis um, as the way things are. Yeah, I mean, is is Agent Smith right? Do humans measure their society based on the the amount of suffering? Well, I, I'll tell you this: every time uh, friends of mine from Australia come over here, they absolutely are blown away by the service in the states, and and I get it. But then we usually go to a restaurant with a waitress who wants a tip, you know, so they're kind of not used to that. But if you um, if you go to a, a, a restaurant or a store or something over there good luck um that's not always the case you know there's been lots of efforts to try and increase quality of service but outside of the united states the quality of service is on on typical and i'm probably getting a hate mail for this but typically it's about 50 percent of what you get here so if what you get here is really bad oh geez you're getting it good (laughs) you know it's just there's certain things if I'm if I pull up to the drive-through at McDonald's and th- that's a contract, right? I play I talk into that little window, and I say I'd like a you know a bacon egg and cheese biscuit and and a, a Dr Pepper with no ice. That really messes with people's heads. No ice. Oh my gosh. Um, and so you know that's that's a contract that I've made. Uh, you give me this, I will give you money. 
and then I pull up to the window and the contract happens. I give the money before I ever get the product, mind you. And then I pull up to the second window and I get, you know, a, a an egg McMuffin with a Coke extra ice. Um, and nobody seems to think that's a problem. Certainly not the people working at McDonald's don't. The the town I came from, uh, you know, they have that, that contact us number if you have a complaint. The only time I ever called them, I'm not kidding. I, I, this is a joke, but it's a true story. Um, I called the 800 number once and I told them the only reason I'm calling you is that because for the first time in 11 years, they got my order right. And I just wanted you to know that. Uh, good job to the staff who was working on this date. Because for the first time I've ever been coming here, you got my order right. You know, those numbers are meaningless. I was at a Walmart in the town next to where I live because, you know, my town has nothing. <laughs> but uh, I go there and it's like if our, you know, if if your service is if the service to check out is slow, please call this number. So I, after 20 minutes of standing in line, I was like, I'm going to call that number. So I dial on my phone. This number has been disconnected. <laughs> disconnected is no longer in service. So at that point, that pissed me off. So then I went and demanded to talk to a manager and I was like, Hey manager, call that number right there. And I was like, I'm going to sit here while you do it. And he goes, Oh my gosh. And so when I came back the next day, that sign was taken down. <laughs> that's the fix for it. You take the sign. Yeah, down. that's the fix. So <laughs> yeah, awesome. I don't know. It, it doesn't apply to anything, but you know, misery loves company. So I don't know there, there's, I'm, I'm going to let this go. I promise. But there's, there's something deeper in in there that uh humans just pay to be abused um i i just just a brief moment here i I would like to uh to start a movement in the u.s uh sort of a hands across the world kind of thing i think that it is incumbent upon those of us in this country to assist our european neighbors um in the ongoing decades-long ice shortage that they're having in europe because um, if you go to a restaurant in Europe and ask for ice, they act like they have no idea what you're talking about. There's there's a great ice shortage in Europe, and I think that we could help them if you all just uh, you know uh, turn your ice makers up a little higher and then send it uh, to the Prime Minister of England. Uh, I think we can make a difference. It, it, global warming just hit there first. That's, that must it's be coming us. here. Yeah. It's, is ice a thing in Australia, Miles? Not really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, People, I, you know, it's, I, I, I think that myself and my wife share this, and I'm not sure if it's a cultural thing, but I hate it when they put a lot of ice in our drinks here because there's usually no drink left. It's right. just ice. I mean, that's that's by design, right? They fill it with ice, and then they squeeze in whatever soda they can get around it. Yeah. Um, which, which is why I say no ice. Right. But right, it's, already, it's already cold, right? But if you go – I mean, I've been to, to places um, uh, other than, than the U.S., and – not only do you not get um, ice, you don't get it cold. Like I, This is not outside the U.S., but this was Chinatown in San Francisco. I was at a Chinese restaurant in Chinatown, and I asked for a Coke, and they brought me a room-temperature can of Coke. Um, and I said, do uh, you have any ice? And the lady looked at me like, what? What is this ice you speak of? Huh. Um, do you have any cold drinks? No. What? I don't even understand... <laughs> not only was there an, an english to to uh um uh chinese language barrier but there was a southern to california language barrier i i, d- I definitely know i've been told uh that if uh, you go to go to europe and you ask for ice they know two things a you're an american and b you're a southern american hmm. you know that's um 
I don't know. Cause whenever I've ate at Oriental restaurants around the Dallas area, it, you know, they bring out a can of, uh, a can of soda. You can't say Coke because you might've ordered Dr. Pepper, a real drink, but, <laughs> but, but at least I guess maybe it's because it's in Dallas. They know to bring you a right. cup of ice with it. So, but I've noticed that, and I thought it was maybe they're just small enough that they don't have the, um, you know, the, they couldn't afford the system to uh you know have the beverages pumped directly to our veins the way other <laughs> restaurants do so but maybe it is a cultural thing that is. they had to modify because they were in s- south a, a fellow came to work on our our dryer a while back and he was from ukraine and uh we we got to talk it while he's you know he's in my house for a couple hours and um we just chatted and and toward the end of it he asked for some water so with you know i did what i always do i filled the glass half full with water and i uh, with ice and then i put water in and handed it to him and he was like, I don't, I don't like cold drinks. I don't use ice. Like, what? What? What are you? What kind of person are you that you want room temperature water? But apparently, Ukrainians like room temperature water. This has gone way off the rails. Um, <laughs> host that's first sucks. time that's ever happened. Remember, host monster sucks. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> and and I would love to say boycott host monster, but where am I going to go that I'm not going to get the same service? I mean. It's all about what you're willing to pay. So, Seth, uh, speaking of willing to pay, um, uh, Billy Bob Thornton got paid too much. Yeah. So, you know, I, I mentioned before um, I talked about the Amazon Prime series Goliath and the first episode was pretty cool. Well, I ended up, it's one, it's only eight episodes. So I hate that all of the, um, you know, things like Netflix or whatever are super short like that. But two, they did something I hate. There was nudity just for the sake of nudity. It didn't advance the story at all. It was like, hey, we're a web series or whatever they're called. What, what would you call that? It's not really a web series. It's a send it anyway. But anyway, they're like, you know, hey, we can throw nudity in here. Let's do it. So it did nothing but detract from the story. And then the overall story was way too far fetched. And while there was some great. I thought there was really good acting in it and some of the scenes and the overall story was cool. I got to withdraw any recommendation I had made for Goliath based on the first episode I had saw. Yeah. So it wasn't bad. It was just like, eh, and I didn't, it, it was unbelievable. So, um, it, it was a courtroom esque drama where, Everything that happened led you to believe it was going one thing, but they turned around and did something else. And it was just like, it wasn't really believable. And that kind of did something to detract my overall uh, enjoyment of the series. So darn it. But you know, I mean, they'll, hopefully they'll do better next time. I am two episodes into uh, the AMC series into the badlands on Netflix. Um, it's a, kung fu john woo crouching uh, dragon hidden tiger sort of thing um and uh the choreography is excellent but the it's bloody to excess in the way that that you're talking about with the nudity it's just there's no reason for it now admittedly i've never sliced a human's jugular so i don't actually know what that looks like but i have killed animals before and i'm pretty sure that a a fine particle dust cloud of blood uh doesn't squirt out of 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 an animal when you kill it and it's just excessively bloody to the point that i can't really enjoy the excellent choreography of the fight scene i can't really enjoy the the drama of the story because i'm too busy thinking of that doesn't really work like that blood doesn't fly 75 feet in a straight line like that it does and and it's just blood for the sake of being blood 
And um, I just, uh, it, it really does take away from the story. If you get past episode three, you lasted further than I did in that. You know, like if you look at a movie like Kill Bill Volume One, the the scene in the nightclub where she's hacking up people. Okay, that's very bloody, but in the context of that movie, it fit because that w- it was done like has a comic book effect, like you know that, that how they would show splatter in the pain of a comic book. So the blood in Kill Bill Volume One fit that movie and. Honestly, it probably would have been a worse movie if it was realistic in its depiction of violence. But in Into the Badlands, I agree, the choreography was excellent, but the story and the the over-the-top effects detracted from that. And just to clarify on Goliath, there wasn't much nudity, but it was just thrown in there for the sake of throwing it in there, so... Yeah, I, I followed okay. you on that, Seth. I, I saw two episodes and gave up on it. I kind of, I thought, yeah, I was like the same. I love Bruce Lee. You know, who doesn't like Bruce Lee kung fu movies? Right. But there were classics and there was, you know, it just seemed to work. But this is just like over the top. I don't know. There was there, maybe 2015, 2016 were the years of excessive everything. Because it seemed like all of these movies came out that were like super excessive. Did you guys, or TV shows, did you guys see Ash versus Evil Dead? No. Oh, A little bit of it. That was like comedy, right? That was supposed to be a Duke Nukem-like comedic guy going out and slashing zombies. And it's supposed to be really funny. But it it got so over the top that it lost its, even its comedy appeal. Um, No, I think they've gone too far. They've got to reel it back in. Yeah, I, I watched uh, also uh, um, Tropic Thunder uh, on Netflix recently, and it was it was over the top bloody, but it was in a comedic way. It and that it sort of became a character in the in the show, um, and I, I that didn't bother me as much. It it bothered my wife, but in my case, it was it was um, it was for effect. They were making fun of the 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 movies that are overly bloody. Uh, unfortunately, that that show had really two two funny jokes, and they did them for the full two hours of the movie. Um, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Jr. playing a black man was funny for the first few minutes, and then it it ran over. It, it just ran out. So, can't recommend Tropic Thunder either. Either you've seen that one? It's old. It's been yes. A while. Yeah. Yeah, no, and no. there were some good bits that were usually early in the movie, but it did kind of yeah go on it would have been a much better saturday night live skit well you know saturday night live has fallen victim to that same thing of of the joke that has to fill a time slot and it right. goes way past the actual joke um and then i it happened a couple of weeks ago and i didn't mention it because well it wasn't worth mentioning i finished iron fist yeah i don't care i got all the way through it all 13 episodes and at the last frame of the last episode still didn't give a crap about any of the characters man i'm disappointed because i still i want to watch it and but then again it's one of those it was one of my favorite heroes for hire was one of my favorite books of the uh the late 70s early 80s uh, marvel mythos that's when i was really in immersed into the marvel universe and i loved them i loved heroes for hire so i'm bummed that it was so um unappealing to you yeah, just boring. I mean, there's I can't point to any one thing that was terrible, but I can't tell you any one thing that was good. It's just boring all the way around. 
right. bummer. And one last thing, just a unique experience. Uh, my my family goes utterly bizarre, crazy with egg dyeing every year for Easter. Um, because my my kids and my wife also are all very crafty. I mean, there's there was something being made in my home and on any given day, a candle or a soap or you know a, a, a project of some kind. They're all very crafty, and I try to encourage that. Um, vein in them i mean there's there's all kinds of pinterest garbage laying around the house but at some point something's going to stick right and so uh when we dye eggs there there's five people in my house we dyed four and a half dozen eggs um because we go crazy with it and our, our neighbors across the street are jewish and uh one of the boys came over and uh said you know you want to come out to play and we said we can't right now we're dying eggs and he said what's that and so it was the coolest thing. We got to introduce this Jewish family to the tradition of dying Easter eggs. Um, and at one point he asked, what does this have to do with Easter? I said, oh, absolutely nothing. I mean, as far as Jesus and resurrection, not a dang thing. But it's just a fun tradition that we do in the same way that Santa has nothing to do with Jesus um, with Christmas. Uh, but it was kind of a neat experience to see. Uh, I mean, literally, he had no idea what to do. I mean, uh, I, it's been such a part of my life, literally all my life from a toddler that you, you, I know that you take this thing and you dunk it in there and you let it sit and then you can paint or whatever. He didn't even know how to dip an egg and, and die. It was just a complete foreign experience. So I always love um, taking something old and seeing it with new eyes. And that was kind of cool. Sharing Easter egg dying with a Jewish family. No, you know, that's awesome. And those memories, like I remember this is this is the weirdest memory, but my my grandparents used to live in Dallas till I was like eight. And I couldn't tell you what year it was, but one year, uh, me and my grandma uh, you know, boiled about a dozen eggs and like I colored them and stuff because I used crayons. You know, we didn't yeah. dying eggs. What's that? I mean, we use crayons and then I here's the thing, I went out and hid them in the yard. And then like 30 minutes later, I went out and I could not find one. <laughs> it was, I spent the whole, I found all of, you know, in like five, maybe 10 minutes. Cause you know, I was, the reason I was there is because it, I was, I wasn't going to school at the time and my parents worked in Dallas. And so they would drive me there and drop me off. Anyway. So, I mean, I found all of them like, except for that one. And I spent like a week looking for that egg and i never could find it and i remember that to this day it was a great time so you know those memories your kids are going to remember those forever and that's what you ought to do next year have them go hide them and then you sneak out and just take one <laughs> and then have them maybe she did that i don't know looking back i think maybe a snake might have gotten one or a dog you know because they had like five they had like five acres so I don't know what happened, but I maybe maybe she took one and that and you know just for but you should take one one time and so that way they'll they'll spend the entire day looking for that one egg that they can't find. Well, they're over the hunting. the The youngest one is eight, and she wanted to hunt, but nobody wanted to hunt with her, and it was a little sad right. actually. Uh, but we when we die, I mean, uh, we use crayons, we use watercolors, we use markers. Uh, it's it's not just a, we use stickers. It's not just a, a dip it in the thing and make that's like the base coat. Uh, that's primer, uh, and then you go from there. Uh, Miles, is is egg dyeing a thing in Australia? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, it's big. It's big. But it's, again, it's it's the sort of thing that younger kids typically would get the most out of, and you know, it's it's still Easter's very well celebrated in Australia. I mean, you take the Friday off, you take the Monday off, and you get the weekend as well. So it's become a 
you know, a bit of a decent sort of holiday break for everyone. But yeah, it's big. It's very big. That and chocolate. Yeah, I mean, I knew that Easter was. I just wasn't sure if the the, the traditions were the same around it. Oh yeah, yeah, very similar. Um, you know, in the movie Rise of the Guardians, uh, the Easter Bunny was Australian, so I thought maybe. <laughs> uh, so uh, tell us the the latest in the the saga of of the wife's teeth. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I can complete the saga now. The final chapter. Um, it worked. Yippee! So uh, this week um, we were back. Uh, Following on from my long-term portrayal of Mexican medical treatment, um, we uh, to recap from last week, uh, my wife went to Mexico to get uh, six crowns and two teeth reconstructions and some fillings, a whole bunch of work, a lot of work. And uh, it's more than a day's work. So, you know, the first day they take out all the bad stuff and leave you with, you know, what's left and put these temporary caps on the top. And then tell you to come back, you know, the following week after all the porcelain teeth have been made. So the following week was this week. And we went back and uh, it huge success. And it wasn't anywhere near as painful this time around. She was in for about five hours. Uh, wow. I, I still sat in the waiting room like an expectant father. But I actually got up the uh, courage about two and a half hours into it due to needing to eat something to go walk around the town and find some Mexican food in Mexico at a Mexican little, you know, taco stand. And man, it was good. Holy cow. They make good food. Mm. So anyway, we uh, came back. Everything's great. The teeth look wonderful. Um, no hidden surprises, no nasty results, no gangrene, no, you know, murders, The whole thing is perfect, and we just walked straight back over the border, came home, and been happy ever since. So, yeah, it worked out great, and if anybody ever wants to, I'll I'll, uh, pass on the link to the dentist that I went to or we went to down there in case anybody needs a a Mexican dentist at any time. Maybe we can pop it in the show notes when the website's back up. But, um, yeah, I'm real happy, real happy. So, yeah, highly recommended. All right. So obviously, that's only useful if you live in a border state. But uh, well, you want to fly? I mean, to, you could fly to Yuma and that's then just, true. you know, do it. I mean, with the amount of money he saved, it might be useful that's to take point. a vacation. So, so I my kids need orthodontia, um, and I think that would be something that would be uh, not really effective since you have to make so many trips back and forth to a dentist for braces. Um, yeah, that you'd want to be. You'd yeah. Well, if there's the problem, often is though when you you know local dentists, U.S. dentists, um, they will absolutely come down hard on the Mexican dentist because let's face it, it's a threat to their business model, and it may not be anything to do with quality of service or regulations or education. The dentist, my dentist in Mexico, he was educated at Baylor, mm. so I mean, you know, he. It doesn't make any sense to say that they're not trained. They're very well trained. He has more certifications from American dental associations on the wall than the dent- my local dentist here. So I, that that's not an argument. It It's just really a threat to the local dentist business model. So you can't kind of use them in partnership. It's going to be one or the other. Um, but maybe if there's a lot of heavy work that's done at one point and then somebody is willing to sort of take over management afterwards of the process, 
you could still save potentially 50% by doing it that way. You know, and it's, it's not so much the dentist, but it's the whole, you know, the live at insurance equals healthcare, but the whole insurance industry. My, my brother has insurance and went to the doctor for something and had this test run. And because he was in pain, he didn't think to ask them the cash price till after he had, you know, thrown down his insurance information. And the cash price without claiming insurance was basically uh, one third the price that his insurance best deal negotiation was able to get. So you're challenging the entire um, health care and, you know, people bleeping industry that's going here in America whenever yeah. you go down south. So way to go, Miles. Way to be a rebel. I, well, it, it's power. Free, yeah, it, it is. It's free market medicine. I mean, there was a 75 dentists in a four block region down there. And you've got to be sure that one of them gets a bad Yelp reputation they're out of business because the guy next door is going to eat his lunch. So they've got to have a high quality of service or they're out of business. They don't get a second chance. So, you know, yeah, the free market works when you when it's a free market. Yep. Speaking of free market, uh, you have something in here uh, about Uber. Um, <laughs> I, I was uh, watching um, uh, Shark Tank this week's episode and the – Chris Saka, I think is his name, the guy who wears Western shirts, Uber. Um, he was talking about how Uber has 15% of the market and, or 85% of the market and how it's a huge thing. Yeah, but it's 85% of like a 5% market. You know, the people paying for rides is actually a very tiny market worldwide compared to people who uh, take public transit or own their own cars. Um, anyway, it just, it just, I was just thinking about the fact that, that uh, oftentimes when you talk about the free market, people don't actually understand what it is. So you could capture 100% of the, the taxi market, and that's going to be huge, but it's not going to change anything for most Americans who don't use taxis on a regular basis. But the rebuttal to that is today most Americans don't use it, but has Urban Sprawl grows up, has the uh, millennial smug fest against owning your own automobile matures, Unfortunately, it's going to get to the point to where that market is going to become a larger and larger percentage of transportation. And so, you know, to dominate the market in its infancy is gives you a leg up to survive into its maturity. Yeah, so. I think the, the, the only way you're going to make that work is if you transition into autonomous, which, again, Uber is trying to do, um, because that is the future of car non-ownership, uh, having paying a driver to be available you know, uh, uh, and the logistics of that just doesn't scale. But having an AI do it absolutely scales. Yeah. I, I, the the Uber story, the, the background behind that was that we um, – I had to go to San Francisco uh, on Monday. So we actually went up the day earlier and my wife and I just were hanging around the city and, you know, becoming tourists for a couple of days. But uh, on the way back, I was sitting on a plane um, and – I was in the aisle seat up towards the back and the row in front of me on the other side in the aisle seat was a lady who was working on a laptop and, you know, you can't not see it, right? I mean, I'm, I'm basically like sitting behind her to the side and it was no way I could not see what she was doing. So I don't feel guilty because I looked at it. So sue me. Anyway, anyway, I got that off my chest. Okay, so she boots the laptop, her background screen, her desktop, uber and i'm like okay she works at uber right she's 
from San Francisco going to Arizona. Aha. Uber, driverless car, they had the accident. I find out looking at, I'm not trying to look at exactly what she's doing again. I just sort of, you know, what are you going to do for two hours on a plane? I'm looking over there, I see she's a lawyer. So I'm not going to read the briefs and everything she's reviewing, but here's the thing that freaked me out. I I know so many people who work in the Silicon Valley or for those sort of companies uh, get burnt out very quickly working on there. I never saw anybody work like this in my life. Firstly, you're in a plane at 35,000 feet flying like a bird and she's there got Wi-Fi, you know, going crazy on her computer. She's got four different instant message apps going, talking to everybody all over the place in real time. She's got some Google calendar docs hangout mail thing going on another side of the screen. It was like... It was like a concerto of applications running on her computer. And she's going bang, 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 bang between everything. It didn't stop for two hours. And I'm thinking, what exactly do you do? I mean, is this just like action for action's sake? And then I started realizing, you know, yeah, probably is. A lot of these Silicon Valley companies are all vim and vigor, but no substance. And this was it portrayed right in front of me watching this person on their computer go to town. And I'm thinking at the end of the day, wow, I'm just glad that I don't work in the Silicon Valley. That would drive me nuts. I get, I get off the flight. We come home. I crash. I'm sitting in front watching the TV. New story comes across Bloomberg or one of the channels I was watching. Uber reports quarterly losses, blah, blah, blah. Apparently, they're losing money. <laughs> So, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I couldn't handle that action-packed Silicon Valley lifestyle, particularly if I'm working for a company that's losing money. But I guess it's a thing, right? Is this how business is done now? Unfortunately, yeah. (sighs) (laughs) But, you know, okay, you're a bit older. People of a certain age... You know, mid late twenties, maybe early thirties. You know, you jump into Silicon Valley. You you big 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 blow 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 go go go, and then it's like, okay, I'm ready to slow down now. I'm getting out of that crap. So, well, that that is a thing as a you know as a corporate drone. Uh, I have some insight into that. Where um, part of any business entity's uh, decision making is the burnout rate of of their staff and the young people. Uh, you hire them young, you abuse them, uh, and then if they're if they're good, if they become a good value uh, to your company, you back off a little bit so that you can keep them. If not, you just burn them out until they leave, um, and that's that's just the way it is. You know, kids will work a lot harder because they have a lot more to prove than a guy like me. He's forty five years old and has a family, and and you press me too hard, I'll just leave because um, I have I have the skills to go somewhere else, and I have uh, a tolerance level. At some point, when I've worked too many hours or, or taken too much crap, I'll just walk away. And so you have to make those, in a mature company, you have to make those decisions on a regular basis between um, you know value for the company and value for the employees, uh, which is value for the company. But a young company like Uber um, probably doesn't have the, the corporate maturity to make those decisions yet. So it's just burn people out until they leave. There's always more people waiting uh, in line for a job. Yeah, I just, you know, I just can't get over this. Whole, I, I've never been able to accept the post-internet business methodology of it's okay if you lose money for 10 years. You're, 
one day you will make it and everything's just great. And who I'm, cares? We've got venture capitalists. They'll bail us out. Amazon has still never po- posted a profit. No. One of the largest companies in the world has never made money. Yeah. I can't, I can't get that into my thick head. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I need to see a profit every month. I'm a, biz- a small business owner and that's how it works. You know, you, you hustle and you make a profit and then you get to the next month. But this, well, and again, uh-huh. showing profit and making profit, not the same thing. Yeah, and making Anybody money and making profit done, aren't the same thing either. Yeah, anyone who has done any, even just a basic high school level accounting or bookkeeping course, you learn that just because you can show a loss doesn't mean you actually lost anything. So, um, you know, a lot of that, you know, good for numbers. Um, you know, if there's no income, if there's no net income to tax, then you don't have to pay taxes. And so that 15 or 20% tax rate, that's more bonus money for the executive rather than having to give it to the government. You know, that's money that can go into his pocket. So they're doing everything they can to show every legal, semi-legal or illegal deduction that they can get away with um, in order to quote unquote lose money. Yeah, okay. I, I do I do get that. Yeah, I understand if you've got if you're making money somewhere else and you could do with the loss some you know, in one place to try to offset it. Oh, that that I can understand. But I just I don't know, just for the life of me, there's a there's a generation of people who have gone into the workforce post internet that I don't think are being uh made held accountable for revenue for their company and profitability for their company where they can collectively come together and work out how do we do this thing to make more money. I think they're, that sort of those discussions are done in boardrooms by people who never get their hands dirty with anything, and it's kind of sad, but I don't know. It just seems weird. I, I, I'll probably never to my dying day get used to that idea, and uh, it's just how it is. You know, I've read entrepreneur books and, and, and followed entrepreneur podcasts, and that, that concept of the burn rate is, is part of the regular you know, incubator language. Is, you know, you, you've got a burn rate of a million a month. You've got to have investors bringing in that much. Not at any point does profit even come into it. Or it's not true that it's not at any point, but it, it can be years down the road. You know, Twitter, for example, still not making a profit, still not making money. Uh, people are investing, throwing money at it because they know there's a great idea just waiting to make money there. Um, it's it's just kind of crazy, though. You can have a burn rate of a, of a million dollars a month, and as long as you've got investors willing to, to support that, doesn't really matter if you can produce anything of any value. Yeah. I think I want to go back to Mexico. <laughs> become a dentist <laughs> yeah there you go real world real real market free market that that works for me <laughs> as a as a lifelong texan um i can tell you uh, i've eaten more mexican food than than uh many people uh have ever even seen the mark of a good mexican restaurant and i'm sure if you you could back me up if you paid any attention if you go into a little taqueria the magical word is lengua if they don't have tongue they're not a real mexican restaurant if there's tongue <laughs> on the menu it's a good point. You know, I'm not saying you have to order the tongue, although it's darn good. Uh, but if there's tongue on the menu, that that shows some skill because uh, that's not easy to make. And if you can do it and do it well, um, it's a good restaurant. If there's tongue on the menu, everything in there is going to be good. Yeah, I didn't go looking for tongue on the menu, but yeah. it was a very big menu, so I'm sure <laughs> that's something there. <laughs> I found a little kind of city, a meat market down the street from where I work. Actually, a, a, a co-worker took me there. And they have whole beef tongues in the meat department, you know, like this 20-pound 
lump of nastiness there. It's like, oh, that's it. You, know, you, you just, you went up three levels for me in terms of, of your authenticness in that, just that you sell that. Not that I'm going to buy it. It's kind of weird tasting something that can taste you back. Uh, but honestly, if it's really well-prepared, tongue is amazing. Just, all right, so, so I got a question for you, mm-hmm. and I've ne- I'm not I've never done this myself. I've only been th- I, I, I've had people who have worked for me that have that eat this stuff. Menudo, you ever had it? Uh, many many times. I've had some really good menudo, and I've had some really bad menudo. Is it dangerous? Dangerous? No. I mean, you you cook all the bad stuff out of it. Okay, okay, okay. Or maybe I should try it one day. I don't know. It scares me. Menudo is essentially leftover soup, and I don't mean leftovers as in the stuff you pulled out of the fridge. Leftovers in after you butcher the animal, the things that are left go in the soup. Um, eyeballs, tongue, tripe, kidney, lungs. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I've had some delicious menudo, and I've had some really bad menudo. Um all right. Uh, now, tell us, because I'm interested in this. Uh, we've talked about all kinds of bad media this week. You have some good media to share with us. The Silicon yes. Cowboys. Yes. And it's a Texan story. It's all about Compaq. Uh, the story of Compaq in Houston. And it's great. It's an hour long. It's on Netflix. It's called Silicon Cowboys. Apparently, it came out in October or November last year, I think. And uh, it's it's wonderful. It's a... Uh, it's a really, really well done documentary going back to the very first days of Compaq when they decided that these guys who were working at Texas Instruments got bored working at Texas Instruments and wanted to build something, had no idea what they wanted to build, and somebody on, on a napkin at a restaurant drew uh, an IBM PC in a portable case, and they go, yeah, okay, we'll build that. And next thing you know, Compaq. And that's how we – I guess that was the genesis of mobile computing today. Um, the first ever – well, not the first ever. The Osborne was before it. But the first ever PC portable and uh, wonderful story. It, it, it talks in so many ways about how big IBM um, was so big, they were so clumsy and so dysfunctional when it came to making decisions that they just missed – opportunity after opportunity and these guys were just small lean and mean and they just were there to pick it up and uh it's just a great movie absolutely worth it's on netflix silicon cowboys easy to find definitely a good watch if especially if you're into the nostalgia of computers all right i've i have heard of it i haven't seen it but i will definitely check it out netflix can't go wrong yeah all right, let's move on to our one and only bit of listener mail this week, uh, mainly because I was busy trying to get my websites back. I didn't collate all this. Uh, but Drew, uh, in response to episode uh, 278, offers up some uh, some podcasts for our listeners. He says, I have to say that if this episode was well-timed for me. I'm currently reorganizing my podcast list and looking for something new. I've already added several of the podcasts from your uh, list to uh, on my own to try. Mark put out a call for listener feedback and uh, what others listen to. So here's my top five-ish in no particular order. Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. Community contributed uh, podcast on whatever topic the hosts find interesting at the time. Topics range from PC hardware to cooking tips to auto repair to music theory. Welcome to Night Vale at welcometonightvale.com. The Theater of the Mind in 30-minute format released on the 1st and 15th of the month based on the desert town of Night Vale, 
uh, produced in New York City. Um, Third World Linux, uh, pod, a weekly podcast by two Philippine Linux users, one professional photographer, the other a law student and teacher. A recent discussion included Ray Bradbury's The Velt, uh, Parallels to Modern Society. And that's at channel14.com slash search slash label slash third world Linux. I'm reading these out because they may not be any show notes for this one. Uh, and then the No Guts, No Galaxy podcast. See me, a regular, uh, excuse me, a semi-regular podcast about MechWarrior Battletech and MechWarrior Online Gaming. No Guts, No Galaxy.net. And the Old Dominion Libertarian Radio Network. That name appeals to me. A uh, weekly podcast featuring news and interviews with libertarian politicians from uh, uh, and other office seekers from blogtalkradio.com slash Old Dominion Libertarian. And, of course, the overlap with your list, Drew Perdicott, podcasting Late Night Linux, and Off the Hook. So thanks, Drew, for your uh, input, and we uh, we look forward to other input from other listeners. Cool. Some yeah. of those sound interesting. I've never heard about that uh, third world Linux. I'm going to check that one out. Okay, uh, so now on to some news, <clears throat> and um, there's so much here, and none of it's good news. It makes me sad. Um, so let's just take it from the top. Dallas is going to fall into a big sinkhole in the near future. Okay, so um, this article, is it's happened um, this past week. Um, hackers were able to set off all of the emergency sirens in Dallas. It started at like about 1230 in the morning Saturday and went until about 120 when they deactivated the retired system. Now this article is an article in tech news world. And so it's like really bemoaning the state of our infrastructure and how like the internet of things has made, um, our infrastructure susceptible. So imagine one of the ways this compromised city services was it overwhelmed calls to nine one one because people were calling to about the sirens going off. So real emergencies were, you know, could have been hampered um, because, you know, the 911 operators are having to weed through that. And then they just turned off the network while they were trying to do it. So what happened if there had been a real emergency? You know, uh, this time of year, Texas, um, thunderstorms can come through that produce tornadoes. That's that's just the time of the year we live in and this part of the state we're in. So it could have been that way. And then also, you know, if stuff like this happens a lot, then people are going to quit listening. And then when it goes off for real, they'll think, oh, it's just hackers again. And there is one quote from this article that I want to call bad form on uh, for the art um, for tech news. In spite of this known exploitable vulnerability, why have our state and local governments been so complicit in their failure to fix these vulnerabilities? Because people complain about potholes on their streets, not the antiquated first warning systems. So, you know, we don't want to pay taxes. Nobody wants to pay taxes. And there's so much debt that so much of our money is wasted on covering debt that the amount of money the city has and Dallas has allocated money and they're working on fixing it and upgrading it. But stuff like this is a low priority because citizens are more concerned about potholes on their streets and how long it takes the police officers to respond to crime. Something like this only happens happens when something like this happens so anyway you know there was no i just bad form on the article making dallas look like a putz and it could have been any city just this time it happened in dallas well and of course so, the guy that quote came from um uh vj bassani the ceo of eiq networks uh who is a cyber security firm trying to drum up business so basically 
that what that means is is if only Dallas had hired us and given us a few million dollars, uh, people wouldn't have been annoyed by loud sirens. Right, but the article could have you know brought some balance in there instead of making it just look like yeah. you know, dude, nobody listens to me. I'm trying to save you. Just like I want to slap them when I see stuff like that. So, yeah. The, anyway. the quote goes on to say, besides just making emergency warning systems go off randomly, hackers could have shut them down completely, crippled them temporarily, or redirected emergency personnel to wrong locations, he said. Taxpayers should demand that their government fix these systems or upgrade them. And here's my business card. <laughs> yeah. This is I this was national news. I mean we I heard about this here in Phoenix, so I guess it, it got on the general news networks. I, I heard it, and I, I was watching it with my wife, and I turned after the story finished. I said, for the lols, <laughs> this, was a, this was a couple of teenage kids doing a prank, and they just targeted, you know, alarms, because alarms are fun, and we like yeah. making things. They're not thinking about the potential repercussion of how it might affect the 911 infrastructure of Dallas. They're trying to make some noise. They're kids. Yeah. I mean, okay, that doesn't mean they did the right or the wrong thing. But what it means is that somebody needs to go in there and at least put maybe two-factor authentication on sending out an alarm. But that, that's the problem, right? In a case of an emergency, do you have time to go get your smartphone, punch in your secret code, get this thing off, or, you know, Authy or something off your smart code, put it in as well, and then the alarms go off? No, you press the button. You just it's, want the alarm. It's the classic trade-off between security and convenience. In an emergency system, convenience wins, right? But yeah. at the same time, security is important too. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's not. It's not. That's part of it. But again, it just nobody took the time. You know, the city doesn't have. And you know, it's not even makes an article. Dallas is a big city, and you know, Texas weathered the financial crisis better than a lot of places. So we're not totally drowning in debt, but we allocated our resources different. And so these things need to be addressed. I just, you know, we don't need to do it in a FUD way. Yes. I mean, something we haven't talked about uh, on this show, I don't think, but, you know, here in Atlanta, we had a major interstate highway collapse uh, when a fire uh, broke out under it. Uh, It just illustrates the fact that um, we built as a country uh, an infrastructure a generation ago and have spent very little maintaining that infrastructure in some in some cases much older than that like uh you know the 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 water lines uh up north that are buried underground and and feeding you know boston and new york city and those sort of things they are 300 years old or 200 years old and um have had minimal uh maintenance and infrastructure is a thing that no it's not sexy uh nobody ever wants to spend money on infrastructure you don't get any credit you don't get reelected for shoring up a bridge, right? Because these guys spent six months working on this bridge, and I can't see any difference. That's kind of the point, um, and that just doesn't fly with uh, with the public. And so I, it's a tight, tough situation that the entire country is going to find itself in 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 the very near future. It's it's very true. Um, I see this with my clients all the time. They love to talk about the new sexy project and they'll go and find money to make it happen and then they'll get all excited about it. Meanwhile, the system they've been living on for the last five or ten years, which has made them their company, is needing a bit of, t- bit of work. But no, we're, not, we're just going to leave that alone while we work on this new really impressive looking thing like the old one's not going to be a problem. 
And yeah, we'll it, we'll stick a pin in that and circle back around after we <laughs> yeah. allocate our resources to this new project. That's yeah. you, Chris. Uh, it, it is frustrating. It's human nature, and I just wish that we were not, you know, driven by f- fancy flashing lights and you know new things all the time and gadgets and and all that stuff that we actually got back to what really matters. Well, but you hey, know, in in you know. the software world, it took the the Y two K thing. Uh, trillions of code of Fortran got updated uh, because of the Y2K, and it took something like that for it to happen. And unfortunately, uh, there just isn't an impending doom for the American interstate system. There's no ticking clock. There's no deadline. You can't put out a thing that says we need to be you know, Y3K compliant on all our hard uh, highways. It's just not there. Uh, and things are going to begin to crumble one by one, and these people who couldn't find the money to repair it are going to have to find the money to replace it. And that's yeah. going to be really difficult. And it's probably going to be far more expensive yes. to do that than it would be. Yeah, I get it. All right, moving on. Uh, the right to repair is going to be a thing. Two thirds, uh, well, one third, if my math is right, roughly, of the states of the union now have some sort of legislation around the your right to repair your electronics. Yes. So uh, 11 states. Just over twenty uh, percent there, Mark. Um, either have the right to well, repair. Well, yeah, you're right. My math and talking, I can do both. I can't do them at the same time. Right. Um, well, you know, I was trying to preempt all the emails coming yeah, in, yeah. so um, you know, um, I have I'm a doing long it for history you. of being bad at math on the air. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah, so do you have the right? to fix something that you own that break. So this bill, um, recent weeks, legislatures in Iowa, Missouri, and North Carolina have introduced bills that would make it easier to fix your electronics. This, these bills will require manufacturers to sell replacement parts to consumers and independent repair companies and would require them to open source diagnostic manuals. It would also give independent repair professionals the ability to bypass software locks that prevent repairs. Basically, this is an anti-Apple bill, and I think it's long overdue. So, um, But anyway, it's just like, you know, this is a thing. Do you have the right to work on something you own? A company like Apple would say, uh, you don't own that. You just kind of leased, it from, leased it from us, but we're not going to take it back, but you can't do anything to it. Thank you. Um, we're going to charge you for that public service. Well, it's not so, just Apple. It's John Deere, yeah. right? They've been in the yeah. news recently, too, for um, uh, saying that they own the OS on the tractor they sold you. They sold you the tractor, but the, right. the chip is theirs forever, and you can't do anything with it. And it's it's kind of a sticky wicket there. Uh, you know, being a small government person, uh, I look at this with some trepidation because uh, an ha- a ham-fisted government official who's well-meaning but ignorant uh, could require the open sourcing of a lot of, of potentially, uh, you know, valuable corporate secrets there. Um, if you, In a lot of cases, if you know how to repair it, you know how to, to copy it. Uh, and so I, I, I worry about this a little bit, but I also agree that you should be able to fix your own stuff. Okay, but that's a spurious argument because no company makes their own stuff anyway. Apple doesn't make their software. It's made by Fo- or they don't make their hardware. It's made by Foxconn. John Deere pays a different set of Asian child labor law exempt people from building their stuff. Yeah, but they Who have ironclad non compete. If you if you leak a word of this, you will lose every bit of business, and we're the only company keeping you afloat. Contracts in place. Uh, they don't have that with the local repair guys. Yeah, but so, you know, here's the it, this is the same problem that happened um, when it was unions versus the 
the company owners. The government was too small to stop those strikes and riots from just raging across the country. And the government realized we're the 98 pound weakling in this arena. We've got to bulk ourselves up and they went too far. Okay. I understand that, but something's got to be done because, you know, and granted in one sense, this is all the consumer's fault because we want cheap crap and we don't want to pay what it's worth because dadgummit, we're Americans, America, and all of those other things. And so we get stuff like this because we we just accept whatever they give us rather than saying, um, we're not going to buy that because I want to own it. You know, we're Linux enthusiasts and we're, well, we used to be 1% of the population since you <laughs> left. We're 0.99 now. So... <laughs> But here's the thing with this, right? If you, you know, we've got this, we've spoken about this on previous podcast episodes, but we've got this looming problem that as automation sort of creeps in, it reduces the labor pool because all of a sudden you don't need 20 people to make something where a robot can do it. You know, you need one or two people to fix the robot. So what do you do with all of those other people who are now out of work? So I think this is a brilliant way of, of full circle with the whole thing. When somebody works for a big company and they learn important things in their head and they become made redundant, they can go and become an independent third-party service center for the very things that they just got trained on at the company. And they can offer that service directly to the public to fix the thing that the company makes. And if the company is not allowed to um, if they're restricted from being able to do that by legal means, then you've got this problem that now they're on the street. They're not making any taxable revenue. We've Somebody's got to pay for them. Somebody's got to pay for the lack of taxable revenue that they're not contributing. And at the end of the day, the whole thing starts going downhill really, really fast. I, I see giving the right of people to fix things and allowing that as not only a way to um, handle some of the level of of labor movement away from the manufacturers out into the small business or the, you know, small sectors like that. But at the same time, that knowledge will proliferate and people will invent new things and those new things will become the next generation of manufacturing. If you keep it all locked up in a black box and no one gives anybody any information, how can you ever expect anybody to invent something new if they don't live in the black box? So yeah. this is the, this is set up for the manufacturers, but not for the good of the world, of the of the people. An example of that, uh, to to piggyback on what you're saying, is you know there there are systems now that have been abandoned, but it's still illegal to do anything with them. You know the company isn't making money off of them anymore, but you still can't do anything with it. There needs to be some some middle ground there. You know, and think about this. Here's a I I believe myself to be a nationalist um, as opposed to a globalist. So the people who work on this generation of whatever are going to be the people who develop the next generation of whatever. And we are reaching a point to where fewer and fewer of the people who work on this generation of technological infrastructure work here in america you know we've outsourced the production to another country we've outsourced development to another company the only thing that's left in this company is the ceo's office so when that generation when those people get old enough to be ceos they're going to leave and start their own companies and you're going to have these great abandoned offices that aren't going to be the american 
widget company. They're going to be the American headquarters of the Chinese widget company, the Indian widget company, you know, Hong Kong widget company until they leave because we've become a third world country because we don't develop anything here anymore. We just want our lattes and to gripe about how good it used to be. So I think something like this to allow a, to train a big enough pool to maintain a, if not competitive edge, to maintain competitive development in the future of technology is something that the country is giving away every day. So, man, I'm just depressing today. I'm sorry. Well, you know, the, the theme there that, that we've all said is, is competition. You know, free market competition, capitalism—that's the thing that uh, that we're all looking at. And, and the question then is, what defines competition? And according to a, a recent FCC proposal, competition means if you can dig a trench a half mile from your house and get broadband, it could be said that you have competitive broadband in your area. I, as much Say as what? I hated, yeah, okay, as much as I hated. Um, the political leanings of the previous administration in terms of their desires and how they wanted to protect technology at a federal level, I'm finding myself agreeing with them more and more. So the new FCC um, guy is planning to get to reduce the impact of price caps that ISPs can charge businesses. So I'm going to read a little bit of this article because it's just, it was, I was kind of, unfortunately it fits, but it's kind of bad. So last year, then FCC chairman, Tom Wheeler proposed lowering price caps on these services by 11% over three years in order to account for a decade of efficiency gains. So this is meaning that if you are in an area where you do not have access to more than one broadband ISP, then by law, that ISP is limited to what it can charge you to kind of simulate the effects of competition. It's an anti-gouging law. Yeah. So, and you know, and since in a lot of ways, the monopolies exist at the pleasure of the government, in a way, this is the government kind of checking that. So that's cool. So price caps are designed to replicate the effects of a competitive market by setting the maximum price for services, which is continually adjusted downward to account for efficiency gains offset by inflation, the Wheeler proposal said. Well, the current chairman, who was appointed by Trump, um, threw out this proposal after being appointed chair. Instead, he he put forth a proposal to end tariffing and other legacy pricing regulations in areas with sufficient competition. He argues that price regulation inhibits network investment, but his plan would maintain price caps in areas without sufficient competition. Now, it's his definition of sufficient competition. The plan would treat an entire county as competitive if 50% of the locations in the county are within a half mile of a location served by a competitive provider. I just like if, if my house currently the only uh, broadband option for my house is Comcast, there's not another one, but if I could get a ditch, witch and dig a a channel a half a mile away and get AT&T that counts as competition. Yeah, if it's a half mile away. Now, again, these things only apply to like small businesses, you know, not so much end users. So if you were running a small business out of your house, but yeah, so I just, this is, you know, 
the the stock market likes all of you know because the Trump re, the Trump regime and presidency whatever word you want to choose there has talked about reducing regulations to increase uh, business efficiency and that sounds great I'm all for it until you see this is what they mean hey we're just gonna we're gonna screw the little guy um, and but it's good news to the ISP they can charge more without having to do any more work and they can lock you in. It's just, it's sad and disgusting. Whatever happened to WiMAX? Do you guys remember that? It was It was like a, it was a really interesting technology and, and it was really popular in Africa. What they do is they, on the cell phone towers, you know, like we've got lots of them. They put right. these special repeater, wireless repeater uh, stations. And it was a particular type of Wi-Fi over 20 mile range. It was a really interesting technology. I know Sprint were big in it. And you used to be able to, back in the days, we used to get those PCMCIA cards for laptops. You used to be able to get a little WiMAX modem card. We had a little antenna. And you could take advantage of this network. And I thought it was the coolest idea because it was a, re- it was a wireless high-speed repeater network that, you know, I mean, somebody's going to write in correcting me on this i'm sure but my understanding was that its network speeds were somewhere around the 5 10 50 megabit per second kind of range it was why it was basically wi-fi over the cell towers network without using 4g or lte or whatever um but it seemed to have been clobbered out by what looks to me like an effort at the FCC or within the cartels of the of the major players of the FT, FCCs to kill it off because of their already existence, uh, existing infrastructure investment in 4G and LTE and so on. But it so, seems like that would that would give you broadband over the over the, in the air, right? But here's the deal: why make a thousand dollars leasing a spot on your tower to somebody when you can? price them out and then make $10,000 in increased data consumption of your mobile spectrum by everybody, all the customers who access your tower. Well, because so, Kenya's got better internet than we do. But we're I America. Mean, we're the best. <laughs> right. But that's... It's security it for the children, Miles. <laughs> <laughs> well, here, just oh, a, a, an anecdotal... Now, you know, this is... This is unscientific in in the extreme, uh, but you know as I've talked about before, um, I have Google Wi-Fi over the last uh, couple of weeks now, and one of the things that Google Wi-Fi does is it it routinely monitors your network. It does regular speed tests, and I can pull it up on my phone app here, and I can see uh, the the result of it, and I can see the trends over time. Now, um, two weeks ago, um, locate trucks came through my neighborhood. Uh, drawing lines on on pavement and putting flags in yards uh, for you know if you've if you've ever been in a construction area anytime you're moving in a new service or digging line or like that you got to locate everything that's existing. Um, well, that is AT and T running Google Fiber to my neighborhood. I'm not making this up. I'm not exaggerating. I have the data to prove it. The nice. day the trucks came and started making those lines, my internet speed jumped up 25. percent that's the power of of competition. Comcast was able to give me more than they were giving me, but they didn't because they had no reason to. 
And now that Google, uh, that AT and T is running in uh, running in their fiber and getting ready to to stomp the pants off of them because uh, fiber can be you know orders of magnitude faster than than coax cable can. Um, they're having to provide better service preemptively so that people say, well, I don't really have any reason to jump to AT and T. I'm getting pretty good service now. Without that incentive, there was no reason for them to do that. Again, it's anecdotal, could be coincidence, but I don't think so. How Wait. dare you monitor the company providing you service to see if they're doing their job? What <laughs> right Google do that. you have to make sure you're getting everything you pay for? That is un-American, you communist. If, if there's ever a time that we need somebody to allow you to try to invent a better way of doing something, it's now. And the people will rise up and the people will come up with a solution that blows away the big corporations and the, they will be partying on the street, yada, yada, yada. And then the big corporation comes in and buys them out just before they go public and then kills the technology. Well, there's that. Yeah, that, that's inevitable. Yeah. How many <laughs> final chapter 800 mile per gallon um, uh, fuel injector systems does Exxon own? Just say it. That's interesting. <laughs> Uh, so uh, this this oh. is a news story that's been there for a couple of weeks, and I and I, I I thought it's interesting. It reflects, you know, as much as I would like to say, uh, boo Microsoft. It really reflects the the change in the way that we are uh, using computing devices. In that Microsoft uh, w- Windows is no longer the dominant operating system in the world. Okay, so this happened actually in March. Um, the independent web analytics company Stat Counter monitors um, OS market share, and this is across all devices, not just desktops or whatever. And for the first time since, like, um, I think it was the 80s, Windows did not have number one. Android was at 37.93%. Windows was at 37.91%. So more people are consuming information off the web via android than they are via windows now of course you know your android phones uh, i wonder if stuff i wonder how um other like chromecast or whatever fits in there but you know if you listen to a podcast off your phone then that counts as part of it you know mobile apps that just destroy the ability of web pages to work all that kind of stuff happens and so for the first time in a lot of people's lives, Windows is not the dominant source to the information superhighway. Just wow. Yeah. It's a sign of the times. Well, it's an interesting stat, but it's a stat that is, you said the most important thing, and that was consumption of media from the internet using Android devices exceeds using Windows devices. Yep, I get that. But it doesn't mean that computers, the the, the, st- the statistic is only relevant if you run a web server and you're trying to work out how to format the output according to the device that's consuming it. But the reality is that you're not going to find Android in enterprise computing. You're not going to find it on the desktops of American Express or government departments or FedEx or any other large corporation. You're not going to find it running your taxes with QuickBooks as a small business owner. No, but so what I think what I think this shows, Miles, is the 
the consumer end of things, right? So they're, they're measuring uh, online media consumption, and that mm-hmm. doesn't happen at the enterprise level. That doesn't happen, you know, in the server room. But it does happen all the time in the 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 lives of the average American uh, teenager slash millennial. Um, and it show it illustrates that we are the way we access the things uh, that are not work related have taken a dramatic turn in the last few years. Yeah, I, I get that. I mean, I, I do. I follow what you're saying, but I if you if you really play that argument out to its entirety, you then also have to say you have to factor in every television set into yeah. that equation. Because it's a media consumption device, and it probably doesn't run Android. So it, it, I don't know. It's a, it's a tr- the statistic. You know, statistics can be made to say anything you want them to say if you just frame it right. The way I take that is not that it's Android, but that it's not Windows. Uh, that yeah. means you know, media centers are no longer Windows media centers. That they they own that world for a long time. Uh, that means that we're no longer. Uh, punching up uh, Netflix on our laptops. We're doing it on our Rokus and on our phones and on our tablets instead. And also, you know, think of how many apps are out there for the small business unit. You know, you mentioned QuickBooks. You can you can do that on your smartphone. There are smartphone apps to help you keep track of mileage you drive for business use versus personal use. So all of these things that you used to go to the Swiss army knife of computing functions, the desktop or laptop computer has now, we don't carry a Swiss army knife. We carry a knife drawer of apps that we, that fits in our little tablet. And so, you know, who wants to carry that big Swiss army knife when I can do everything with this other little one, or I can do enough stuff that I don't need to carry that one so and again you know this isn't the end all be all but this is a metric that provides a snapshot of society and for the first time uh in my adult life windows isn't the the dominant um access to the information superhighway so and 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 and, you know and again this wasn't like hey we've killed windows but it was just like this is an interesting newsworthy article, a milestone in um, the history of the web. And along the lines of things that aren't the dominant, and in this case never was the dominant, uh, it does illustrate that as secure as you are, it doesn't matter unless every step of the line is secure. Ask.com um, uh, starts become tell, to become tell.com. Yes, so um, they use Apache has their um, hosting their software, and the reason we know that is for a while their Apache server status page was open to the public, and everyone can see what people are searching for. Any queries and user actions done on that particular server um, on ask.com are open to anyone who wants to have a look. So basically, you know, Google is so large, there's not just one computer smoking to keep up with all the requests. There are literally servers all over the world handling Google. Ask, not quite that big, but I'm sure it's more than one computer. And so depending on which one you hit, based on either where you are, or the time of day or whatever, all of a sudden their queries were able were open to the public and there was probably some error or some upgrade uh went and reset file permissions and people didn't realize and so they 
didn't know how long it went back. And like I say, this new story is like a week and a half old and it may or may not have been closed since then. But, you know, so if you were using ask.com for all your porn searches and you hit this computer, that's a public record now. So security is important, people. Does anyone use ask.com anymore? <laughs> not apparently I, about no. uh, 4. Billion, uh, 4.4 million searches worth. Wow. Kind of uh, sad, isn't it? <laughs> It used to be yeah. Ask Jeeves, and there was a little butler guy, and then oh, it became yeah. Ask. Yeah, um, it just goes to show you that. I mean, this is a minor leak of in of of non uh, you know dangerous data, but it just it goes to illustrate that unless every link in the chain is secure, there is no such thing as security. Yep. All right, I expected some kind of comment on that one. <laughs> I mean, I agree. Uh, for the lols (laughs) all right and this is just ridiculous uh in the best way um giant robot uh megabots battling thing um in japan uh sign me up okay i i actually talked about this when i first saw it on the internet years ago uh back when we were still the everyday linux podcast but uh there's this uh giant like you know miles you talked about um or what our listener had the thing for battle tech and stuff so about mm-hmm. japan they built one uh and then so there's people in america say hey we've built one too they should fight and so there was a challenge between it so they're building a new version of this it's a mark three to compete against the one in japan and it's going to be giant robots beating the crap out of each other and if it's I'm at the somehow I will find a way and I will watch the stream, but I would so love to go and be as close as possible and see it just because that appeals to me on so, so, so many levels. So, uh, you know, element OPIs go forth and tip us so that we can, and I'll cover it. I like, I'll live stream it for geek rant and, you know, it'll be a business trip for me and I'll give you in-depth coverage. So if you would like to see that, you know, element OP.com slash Amazon, once Mark gets the website fixed, buy your house, buy your car, buy everything you can <laughs> from there. So y'all can send me, I want to watch giant robots duel. You know, wouldn't it, I would love to be eight years old in 2017 because you get to do that stuff. It's so cool. And then they've got like these. Have you seen these drone games where they races of drones yeah. and all that stuff? This is this is an eight year old boy's like absolute utopian experience. It's fantastic stuff. When I was eight year old, the best thing we had was demolition derby. I mean, it's, this is what I want. But man, had to wait fifty years for it. Sheesh. Yeah, and and you know, BattleBots is still one of my favorite shows. This is BattleBots, you know, on on steroids. Um, and I, I I hope it becomes a thing. I hope it's not just this one battle between these two people. I really want this to become like a sponsored thing by the National Science Foundation, uh, pitting uh, engineering schools against each other on a, on an annual battle. Um, I, I would literally pay money, lots of money. Uh, okay, but those little that. battle bots, those can run into the thousands of dollars. I know, I know. You're you're talking, you would be talking a million, because you, know, you can't just have, what are you going to have, 20 different engineering schools and it'd be a battle royale? I mean, one, that would be super awesome. That's exactly but, what yeah. I'm talking about. 
<laughs> but otherwise, you've got a tournament, you know, MIT versus Stanford, and then over here, Denver Technology versus Podunk East Texas U or whatever fighting. And then so you've got think of how the repairs would be and the budgets. I mean, you're talking it would be the the it would probably cost as much to run that league as it would be the NFL. But it's, I but so like, I would have tickets. I would I would. <laughs> but you, then again, you don't want to go to the stadium because these two, you know, this robot shoots at this one <laughs> and it explodes and shrapnel takes out half the arena. I would sign a waiver and like be in a bunker <laughs> with play. They I want to see it. this. They should do this like the WWE. Right, yeah. and they've got robots with names like Hulk Hogan or Randy Savage, all these guys going out there, and that would be so cool. They could totally Vegas this thing up. I mean, you could you could get you know Mountain Dew and Viagra and and uh, Coors to sponsor this. You could make this a thing. This yeah. could be the new uh, the new thing. I I would I, I'm all about it. It would be so exciting. And I think the winner automatically gets a master's degree in engineering. Just if you win, <laughs> you, you're granted a degree. You know, that would be cool. Yeah, the winning team, you know, gets their gets their whatever. You know, not so much their education paid for, but they are automatically conferred a, you know, and not an honorary degree, but an actual degree in electronics for um, uh, whatever. That would be yeah. awesome. Dude, I would so... I would so love this. I would love the interviews of the, uh, you know, you'd have the the jockeys piling them or whatever. And I'll see you in the next paper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, that was, I want you it. You pay per view this thing. I'd pay fifty bucks to pay per view this. Oh, I yeah, totally would. Totally, yeah. totally. Uh, I will, please let there be giant robot <laughs> duels everywhere. All right, and the last story, uh, because Seth loved it so much, uh, Migo was uh, his favorite operating system. Well, apparently, son of Migo is literally the worst crap this one particular security guy has ever seen. Okay, so for the record, Tizan is in no relation to Migo. It comes, so I just want to, I love Migo. It still has a soft spot in my heart. It will always be there. I'm so sorry I liked you, Migo. Um but Tizan is, um, it's poo-poo on silicon, apparently. And so this uh, guy who was reading it said, um, Tizan's programming is the worst code he, this person has seen. He told Motherboard, noting there were mistakes in the software similar to those programmers made 20 years ago. It appears that no one who understands security was involved, either in the writing of the code or in reviewing it, he said, resulting in everything could go everything going wrong that could possibly go wrong. Hey, I've never heard of Tizen. Everything's Amazon. Well, Samsung, perhaps you've heard of them. They make the occasional television set. This is the software that um, uses their... Um, that runs their smart TVs with microphones that are hooked up to the <laughs> room in your house. And apparently Tizan's other name is pwnme.com. So, you know, turn <laughs> yeah, off the TV when you want to talk or open the box and sip the little microphone wires to protect yourself from the hackers that will invade your life through Tizan's complete and utter lack of security. Way to go, Samsung. First yeah. you blow up phones, and now you're blowing up lives. Patrick Takei, Director of Security and Architecture at Keeper Security, says it's, quote, trying to reinvent the wheel and doing a bad job of it. Well, okay, reality check here. You guys know programmers, right? 
the most dysfunctional, egotistical bunch of good people out there I've ever seen. And I'm one of them. You so, don't know many surgeons, do you? <laughs> well, there's that. <laughs> but I can tell you one thing. One programmer, it's very, very, very rare that one programmer will ever have anything positive to say about any other programmer's Good code, point. right? And so if this guy's all, you know, the, he was the thing back in the Mego days, and now he looks at somebody else's code and something else, yeah, I don't give him much credibility because he's probably going to make everybody's code look like crap if he didn't write it. So, I don't know. That's programmers for you. Here, here's a line that uh, goes along with that. Other penetration testers, researchers, or attackers may be able to discover tens or hundreds more exploitable zero-day vulnerabilities. Well, yeah, maybe. Given enough time and money, you could find zero days in asphalt. I mean, it, it, there's the security vulnerabilities everywhere. It's, it, it's out there. It's, it's out there for anybody with the time and energy to find them. Yeah, but the problem with Tizan is it doesn't have the industry acceptance, so it doesn't have the eyeballs QCing it that Android does. Good you point. just have Samsung people QCing it. And so it and this is a descendant of pretty much a Samsung um operating system before this, so it doesn't have um it just doesn't have the eyeballs reviewing it. And you know, companies like Samsung, they don't have a great, you know, Samsung doesn't have a great reputation for uh, software security anyway. So something like this has more legs. Whereas, you know, Microsoft, the, the meme is they don't know about security, but they focus a lot on security and people wouldn't accept a true story about this from Microsoft today, I don't think. Um, or they wouldn't accept this about Android because, it, you know, or the Linux kernel. But Tizen, you know, um, being developed almost um, Samsung just wanting to just be prideful and not use what other people are using. I could totally believe this. All right. And the last story of the night is kind of ho-hum for me, but maybe not for other people. Um, YouTube TV is a thing, assuming you want to watch on your phone or you have a Chromecast. Yeah, it's in uh, Atlanta, I think. If, I think there were five cities that it was released in a week or so ago. I don't have a Chromecast, so not ah, interested. Okay. Well, but well, if you have a a Roku with the YouTube app on it. Nope. Yeah. Nope. No. Nope. Mobile, Android, iPhone, and iPad, TV, Google Chromecast only, or computer, laptop, desktop. Yeah. It, it, you cannot use a YouTube app. You have to use uh, the YouTube TV app which I'm, I'm reading this directly off of Google's website. Um, the only way to watch it on a TV is with a Chromecast. Huh. That will probably get more, there'll be more proliferation as they start rolling it out, I suspect. Well, I, I mean, would hope. For 35 bucks a month, you get a fairly decent comparative package that you would get from cable TV with no contracts and an unlimited DVR in the cloud that they'll record all your content and, and access, six concurrent users. Right. And access to six concurrent users. And I don't know any cable company or satellite TV company that can come anywhere near that. Um, I'm not saying that paying money for media, particularly when you've got access to over the air free stuff is really an answer. But if you need, CNBC or you need CNN or you need ESPN or Fox Sports or something like that, this could be uh, quite an affordable add-on to a cord cutter 
without them having to go the whole hog and get a cable subscription again. And so, to take the sting out of the fact that you need a Chromecast, they'll actually give you a Chromecast after you pay your first month. Right, right. Yeah, I will I just think say there's a place for this. Based on the web, just the web page, that's enough to make me not order it. I was <laughs> yeah. not a fan of trying to scroll through that web page to get information. That's true. Anyway. So they start out with ABC, CBS, Fox, NBC, uh, CW. Uh, if you have all of those in your neighborhood, that's uh, that's the, why they're only rolling it out to uh, to different things. CBS has been notoriously bad about making deals with people. Um, ESPN, uh, CSN, Fox Sports, Fox Sports 1, Fox Sports 2, USA, FX, Freeform, Disney, E, ESPN 2, BTN. I don't even know what that is. Um, the SEC Network, uh, ESPNU. ESPN News, Bravo, Oxygen, FX, Sci-Fi, Disney Junior, Disney XD, Sprout TV, CBS Sports, CB, uh, NBCSN, The Golf Channel, MSNBC, Fox News, CBS, uh, CNBC, uh, Fox Business, National Geographic, uh, Nat Geo Wild, FXM, can't make out what that one is, Something Universal, Chiller, and of course, YouTube Red Originals. Um, that's a pretty good lineup for $35. It's not comparable to uh, PlayStation Views uh, $30 tier, uh, but it does have more local networks. So in this uh, early stage, there there's a there's a lot of give and take. For example, it doesn't have um, DIY, Home and Garden, or Food Network, three they, things that I the, watch a lot. They did add AMC uh, and a few of the AMC networked channels as well recently. Yeah. I don't think they updated the webpage with that. Yeah, yeah, for and another eleven dollars a month, you can get Showtime. All right. Yeah, they don't have CNN either, which is weird. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's a there's a place for it. Uh, if anybody can make this work, uh, Google and YouTube can. You know, Sony is a huge company that uh, had the the PlayStation uh, brand, but they don't have the the hooks into media. Uh, they they were gaming. Uh, you know, and. Uh, uh, Direct TV and Dish Network with their Sling TV, um, they have all the agreements, but they don't have the 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 broadband backbone. YouTube has all the media and the the broadband. I I think if there's going to be a clear winner in the next five years, I would put my money on YouTube TV. Just not right now. Is it you know? Is I've, it 4K? Go ahead. Is it 4K? I don't know. No, I don't know. I have seen some of the um, YouTube Red movies, you know, because on on the uh, the ads on YouTube a lot are showing that, and some of them are looking really good. And it's like, you know, that movie looks like something I would want to watch. So again, I don't not enough to make me get it yet, but YouTube Red could be a could end up being a thing. I've got YouTube Red. I I I watch YouTube every day for hours and ridiculous on it and i just couldn't handle the ads and i just thought for 10 bucks a month i'll i'll pay that to avoid ads um right. and that's the only reason i've got it yeah and uh, their fact does not list quality i suspect it's a uh, uh, variable depending on a lot of different factors it's a golden time for cord cutters yeah this, this one to me, I mean, I looked at, uh, oh, man, I can't even think what the name of it is, Sling, 
And Sling don't have a package anywhere near as competitive for the channel range that this has got um, within that price point. And, you, you know, you, there are cord cutters need a few extra channels that you just can't get on over the air. Having said that, I think that most of them are not absolutely required, but if you need sports, news, and sort of live stuff that you're not getting that's at a national level, um, cable does have a bit of a control point of that. This might loose, loosen it up a little bit. I'd like to see somebody come out with a package that said, look, $35 is everything. However, if you want to pay $15, pick four. I, I'm all in on that. That'd be great. But the, I guess that's not part of the way they negotiate with yeah. these networks. What I would like to see is, you know, for for X amount of dollars, you get 20 things. And it, within, you know, uh, a week, you can add or drop. So if you add something, you got to keep it a week uh, or maybe even to make it a month. Right. But you can shuffle your 20 in and out. So if uh, you want to watch The Walking Dead, you throw AMC on. And then if that's the only show you watch, when uh, Walking Dead is over, you take it uh, take it off and put something else on. Um, I think that would be an interesting way to do it. I don't know that it'll ever happen, but I think that'd be a neat way to do it. Mm. Yeah. It's a good idea. Could be. Could you know, right now we have the buffet model. We have, you know, 700 different options. Uh, even if all you want is the crispy shrimp, um, you still have to buy all 700 of them. Um Whereas a la carte, you know, you may pay more for what you want uh, uh, per item, but you don't have to buy the items you don't want. And so we've uh, American TV has been or cable TV certainly has been the buffet model all along. Uh, And what customers are saying is we want the a la carte model and we're willing to pay a little more for it as long as we don't have to buy stuff we don't want. Uh, But the whole system is just not built that way. You got to burn it to the ground and start over again. Mm -hmm. All right, let's wrap up with This Week in History, Seth. Okay, so April the 18th, 1986, IBM is the first company to use the megabit chip. Newspapers report that IBM had become the first computer manufacturer to use a megabit chip, a memory chip capable of storing 1 million bits of information in a commercial product, its Model 3090. The announcement is heralded as a notable triumph for American computer makers, whose work had been perceived as having fallen behind that of the Japanese electronics industry. That happened this week in history in 1986. Back to you, Mark. I remember a few years later, 91 probably it was, I went to Best Buy and signed up for one of their terrible 20% interest rate credit cards and got, I think, a six or $700 limit and maxed it out to buy four megs of RAM for my 386SX. <laughs> wow. Seems I paid like- for that for like nine years. <laughs> Long after I didn't have the computer anymore, I was still paying for it. Yep, but you know, you only live once. Hashtag YOLO, brought to you by only Opie Productions. <laughs> um, yeah, and now uh, my phone has 32 gigs in it, and I complain that it's too small. <laughs> it's a thing. I, I remember having a conversation with a, a, a friend of mine back in the late 80s early 90s somewhere around that range and he said i've got 200 megabytes of hard drive storage just sitting there and i I don't know what to do with it um 
that was that was like incomprehensible 200 megabytes of of storage capacity <laughs> my how time changes um uh, okay I now seth uh wait what so i was gonna say uh, how you can contact us but uh that's all broken right now uh email is still working element op uh at uh or geek granted element op.com um i can't guarantee anything else is going to be working but send us an email keycran at elementopi.com or uh, uh, call 559-IMOP and leave us a voicemail. We haven't had one of those in a long time. Um, and if you're a web developer and you want to build me a site, I'll pay you. I'm not saying do it for free. I'm willing to pay you, but you got to supply hosting. All right? Um, so let's just let's give me a call and, hmm. and we'll, we'll make something happen. Uh, so now, Seth, what do you have to lower my productivity, thus making you look like a better hiring option? Okay, well, this is maybe clearing the palette because I really wasn't happy with anything I came across this week. But if you can go to therestartpage.com, that is therestartpage, all one word, dot com. And here, this page came out in 2011, so it is a little dated. But here you will see the shutdown options for many, many <laughs> computer systems in history and if you click it it will then give you um in this way it won't shut your computer down but it will give you what it would look like when that particular thing was shutting down so it is the restartpage.com um and then you know going back to versions of windows i've never seen um old versions of apple there's the next computer some uh workplace shell um just all kinds of stuff. This is uh, this is for the historical geek that you know. Um, they might get a kick out of this. This is oh, this, this was a labor of love. I just restarted Windows 3.1, and it, it restarted. It did the AMI BIOS check. It um, it loaded HiMem into to to sys it uh got to the a prompt and then it typed win for me and then it loaded windows this is a labor of love absolutely i just restarted a mac os computer <laughs> this is brilliant oh this is the 2gs oh my gosh i remember that in high school <laughs> i didn't even recognize it based on the option i chose oh <laughs> oh and there's sound too it, it even played the sound Oh my god. Oh yeah. Um fun times, huh? Like it actually made the sound of a hard drive going or a floppy drive going Ank, as it loaded up. <laughs> oh, I love it. This is beautiful stuff. Um truly a labor of love. Yeah, this one might not get you fired, so um I don't know. You know, I, I could see where this would be a prank for somebody. Just, you know, walking by do the web page at full screen and click shut down and so people think they're losing their data this could be some awesome pranks here maybe um that might get you fired i'm thinking this is actual screen captures because the time seems about right too how long it's taking to run a memory check on 640k feels about right uh, maybe it was a vm you know maybe they um yeah but I, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, so it says, like, um, if you go up into the upper left corner, you can click the about. Um, it was an answer to OF, OFFF, the, I don't know what that is, invitation to collaborate with a piece under their Year Zero 2011 concept, a tribute to the most significant operating systems that has been part of our geek lives. Boyne Voyage, uh, Bon Voyage. 
sorry, can't talk anymore. I'm bon going to look voyage. up OFFF because I don't even know what that means. This is really good. Really good. <laughs> They've got next. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, this is serious geek stuff here. Um, and, and you have to be a geek to appreciate watching uh, Apple Rhapsody developer release two reboot. Uh, but here I am enraptured by Rhapsody. <laughs> awesome stuff. Good find, Seth. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate that. Uh, early on, he was saying, I'm, I'm having a trouble finding a useless website. And I said, well, just put elementopi.com because right now it's useless. Um, all right, folks, that's the show. Uh, your hour and a half plus, once again, of random, uh, my, meaningless drivel. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. We sure enjoyed uh, bringing it to you. Um, as always, uh, you, the best thing you could do for us, other than showering us with money, uh, would be to tell other people about it so that maybe they can shower us with money. Uh, just uh, go to leave us a review on your favorite uh, podcast database of choice. Uh, tell your friends about us. Tell your enemies about us. Uh, just let people know uh, that we're out there and, and why you like us, if you do. Um, Thanks, guys, for being the best co-host I can afford. And thank you, the listener, for hanging out with us. We'll see you next week, because that's it for this episode of The Geek Rant. Brought to you by someone more reliable than a website. (laughs) 